Dear congregation, in one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon tells us about a certain man named Jack the Huckster. He lived in the 1700s and he was a huckster and that's someone who would go about from door to door even selling things. And this particular man was known as a unsavory character, sinful person, a poor person. His language was filled with swearing. He wasted his money on drinking and maybe got things by stealing. But as he was going about, somehow he he came across this woman who was singing something. I am a poor sinner and nothing at all, and Jesus Christ is my all in all. And that gripped him. And he couldn't shake it off. It struck home. And he was saved. And some time later, he desired to join the church, and people were somewhat suspicious about this man. We know what this man is like. And they asked him many questions, and all he could say is, I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, and Jesus Christ is my all in all. So simple. And yet, is that not at the heart of, heart of everything? Is that not also where the Heidelberg Catechism is is seeking to guide us to, to that confession? Isn't that why we have been hearing over the past months as we have come from time to time to the Heidelberg Catechism in that section about misery that we have heard of how we are nothing at all, a sinner with nothing. It's to make room for this. Jesus is my all in all. That's what our, th- our theme is tonight, with a prayer that it wouldn't just be the theme of tonight of a sermon, but that this is what would fill us. Like it filled that Jack the Huckster, I'm a poor sinner in nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. And so our theme is Jesus Christ, the all of a nothing at all. Three points first, meeting all the requirements. Second, giving all grace. And third, revealed in all the word. Lord's Day 6 is about Jesus Christ, the all of a nothing at all. The one who is meeting all the requirements, giving all grace, and revealed in all the world, the word. The mediator. To be a mediator is a great task. And to fulfill that task, great requirements are needed by the person who will then be the mediator and do the work of a mediator. Every job has certain requirements that a person has to be able to do. And more often you see job advertisements and then it's in big bold letters what is needed, the position, and then you read below it all the requirements. And the more specialized and the more important a task is, generally the more careful they are to list the requirements to make sure that that person is qualified to do that work. And here we have a task, an office of being mediator between God and man. And when you read that mediator needed, You have to look below what is required for someone to fulfill that position. And you see, already in question 15, what sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for, for one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is one who is very God. We must have a mediator with these qualifications, who is man and who is God. 
And the question comes, why? Why must he be these two things? And the answer is a confession of faith that has listened to the word of God. And notice how it returns time and again to the justice of God. This has been a refrain in the past Lord's days. God is just and therefore he must punish sin. God is just and therefore his salvation must be consistent with his justice. And now God is just and therefore the Savior, the mediator must be a man. And that's actually the beauty of the comfort of this summary of Scripture in the Catechism. This is not just a comfort that glosses over the justice of God, and it's not the comfort of a presumption that hopes that in the end everything will turn out all right, or that things that God will just let his mercy cancel out his justice, or, or thinks that I'm not bad enough to really deserve hell. Here is a comfort that realizes I cannot satisfy the justice of God and I need another who is a real man to satisfy that justice of God on my behalf. We confess here justice requires the same human nature which has sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin. Man sinned and man must be punished. God said to Adam, The day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You, Adam, as a human being. And so you can't have an animal that has the execution of that sentence in the place of a man. Even in the court of human law, you could not do that. You could not go to court and be sentenced to prison and say, here is my pet goldfish, let him go to prison for me. No, man is sentenced and man must bear that punishment. And so if there is to be a substitute who bears the punishment on my behalf, that substitute must be as much man as I am, human being as I am. Now, to find ones that are truly human is easy enough. There's billions upon the face of this earth that are truly human beings just like you and me. They may look very different, they may act very different, but they're as much human as you are and I am. But the requirement here is not just for him to be a man, but to be a righteous man. Then all of a sudden the picture changes, doesn't it? It seems so impossible. We tend to think that either you're human or you're perfect. I have more often in catechism class than than young people say, why did the Lord Jesus have to be God? Well, to be perfect. No. No. He didn't have to be God to be perfect. He had to be a perfect, not God, but a perfect human being. That was required for two reasons. First, the mediator may not have any sin of his own, because if he had even one sin of his own, he would have to bear that punishment of the wrath of God against sin, all that wrath just for his one sin, to be free from sin, to be the substitute of others. But secondly, he not only had to be free from sin to be the substitute of others, bear their punishment instead of his own, but he also had to secure a perfect obedience and a perfect righteousness that others never had. In that way, to satisfy the justice of God that demands perfection. Don't these requirements for a mediator rise above all the people we can ever see? Who is a real righteous man? But this this requirement pales in comparison to the next requirement, and that is that he is to be very God. It's astounding. 
He's to be God, as we confess here that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's, gra- God's wrath. Do you know how heavy the burden of God's wrath is? If you feel just a little bit of that wrath of God in your soul, it's you confess, with my burden of transgression, heavy laden, overborne. It's what we sing from, Psalm, from the Psalms. My shoulders are too small to carry it. That wrath is what sinks sinners down into hell forever. Psalm 90 confesses we are consumed by thy anger. To bear that in a human nature must be strengthened by a divine nature that enables that human nature to bear it. But also, second, we confess here that he might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. It's his divine nature and person, him being the Son of God, which gives such an infinite worth and value to his work of being righteous and of dying as a substitute. It's because he is God that his work has such a worth that it is infinitely, abundantly sufficient, as the, the canons say, to expiate for the sins of the whole world. But also this, he must be God to restore to us righteousness and life. Do you not need a divine Savior? Do you not need divine strength to save you? Not human strength. That's limited. My problem is so great. I need a divine mediator who's able to restore to me, to to give to me righteousness and life today. What requirements these are. A man, a righteous man, and one who is God. And if we put a job advertisement out, wanted a mediator, God and man, over this whole world throughout history, you would not find one who could answer those requirements and say, here I am. And if you went to heaven and you asked all the angels in heaven, there is not one who could say, that is what I will be. There is only one who could fulfill those requirements. And that one is none less than the one whom God has provided. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is the Son of God. Who then is that mediator who in one person is both very God and real righteous man? And in that question, in answer to that question, that name finally shines forth here, our Lord Jesus Christ. Does his name not sparkle in the midst of all the helplessness and guilt and sin and corruption that has been the theme of these past Lord's days and of the inability to satisfy the justice of God? Here is a name that sparkles with the glory of the grace of God. He is the one who could say, here I am, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He became man. That's why we read Hebrews 2. He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And then it continues. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. This is the one of 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. He was like unto us in all things. His heart beat, his mind functioned. He had hands and he had feet. He had a human body, a human heart, a human will. He was man. But more yet, he was righteous man. Hebrews 7, 26 says, such an high priest became us, was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, 
separate from sinners, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. He did not have to offer up sacrifice for his own sin because he was holy and undefiled. He is the one who as a man was that priest who offered up a sacrifice of himself for others. And that's why God could accept this work that he did as a work of a real human being in the place of those human beings who deserved to bear that punishment of God because of their sin. And at the same time, he is very God. That well-known text, God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten Son. It's what God gave. God is the one who set the requirements for the mediator, and God is the one who fulfilled those requirements in the giving of his own Son. That's why Thomas could say, my Lord and my God. That's why Paul could proclaim and exclaim Christ who is over all, God blessed forever in Romans 9. He is real righteous man and he's very God and he is these in one person. He's not half of his being is God and half is man or that he's somehow a mixture between God and man. No, he is fully man and he is fully God and he is so in one person. And here, congregation, we're only left with adoration and amazement at the mediator that God has provided. Here is room for the adoration of the Athanasian Creed. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. He is God of the substance of the Father begotten before the worlds. And he is man of the substance of his mother born in the world. Perfect God, perfect man. Who, although he be God and man, yet is not two, but one Christ. This is the mediator whom God has provided. This is the one of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. When it says, but of him, of God, are ye in Christ Jesus. This mediator. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul is confessing here God has made him our full salvation. Complete. He's the all, truly all of salvation. And he's given by God. Over and over we've heard God is just. God must punish sin. And here it breaks through. God is just and his grace is wide as the ocean because this God of justice has provided a mediator to satisfy his justice and he's done that in his pure, pure grace. God is pleased with this mediator. God is the one who testified already when he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And especially when he raised him from the dead and he took him to his right hand, he was declaring that he was pleased with this mediator. This mediator that is great enough to reconcile the ones we've been hearing about, the ones like you and me, the ones who deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment, ones who are prone by nature to hate God and their neighbor, ones who are unable to do any good and inclined to all evil, ones who resist God, who such ones. God has provided a mediator to reconcile such ones to himself. The ones that we read of in our, in our passage that we read, 1 Corinthians 1. 
God knows what sinners are like. It can be shocking when he shows you what you are, but he knew it long before you sensed anything of it. He knows that sinners are truly poor sinners and nothing at all. That's how 1 Corinthians 1 describes them. Foolish, weak, despised, base, those that are not, it says there, means those that are nothing, have nothing, nothing to contribute, nothing to give, nothing. And Christ is all exactly for such sinners here tonight. What does a nothing have? Nothing is nothing. Our problem is not that we are not all that we ought to be, but that we're nothing of what we ought to be. The problem is not that we lack some righteousness, but we lack all righteousness. Not that we lack some wisdom, but we lack all wisdom. Not that we lack some holiness, but we have no holiness. The problem isn't just that we can't pay off the full debt, but we only daily increase our debt. We have nothing. God knows it. And that's why he has provide Christ, provided Christ to fulfill all the requirements that he had for a mediator. And so be all. Come, do you join in tonight? I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all. And Jesus Christ is my all in all. If you hesitate, then listen. Listen again to who he is and what a fullness there is in him. And our second point, that he's full of all grace. The gospel for those who are nothing is that Christ is all. And it's proclaimed so that you, are that you who are still sitting in your nothing and have nothing more would see what you miss, but see who he is in all the fullness of his grace. And that you who belong to him tonight would see what you have in him. Notice what it says there in verse 30. Of him, that's of God, of God are ye in Christ Jesus. From God you have received this grace to be in Christ Jesus, to belong to him, showing this is the grace that Christ gives. God has not only provided a, a mediator to reconcile sinners to God in general. No, he is also the one who, who takes sinners and brings them into union with Christ. That's essential, isn't it? Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Because as long as we are outside of Christ and there is that separation between us and, and, and Christ, all his fullness doesn't profit us. We remain only with nothing. And that's why when he takes us as that nothing, as that bucket of nothing, and he brings us into Christ, then we have all. And that's the point of that verse 30. He of God is made unto us what? Wisdom. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Truly, he is the all of those who have nothing at all of themselves. Christ Jesus is wisdom for those who have none. He said it in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God didn't send his son into this world to give a little more wisdom and a little counsel to those who are, who are going on the right way but still didn't quite know. No, he has come to find us in our foolishness, in our ignorance, in our blindness, in our darkness. And he has come to be that wisdom 
apart from Christ, we have no wisdom. He is that, that treasury of all wisdom. That's what Colossians says, isn't it? In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what is wisdom? It's to see reality as it is. To see God for who he is, to see ourselves in a true light, and to also see that Messiah, that the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is, and to also live in light of those realities, that is wisdom. And where does that wisdom come from? It comes from Christ. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you're in him tonight, all that wisdom of Christ is yours. It is. And if that's not enough, it also says Christ is made unto us righteousness. Christ didn't come to make good people a little better. He came to be the righteousness of those who are all unrighteousness. He clothes the ungodly in his righteousness. He is Jehovah Sid Kenyu, as McChain had in his poem, the Lord our righteousness. Aren't those words of the Lord's Supper form so beautiful? The perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given us as our own, yea, so perfectly as if we had satisfied in our own person for all our sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Isn't that the echo of 2 Corinthians 5? For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He has made unto us righteousness. And if he is your righteousness then you have the righteousness of God. A righteousness with which, with which God, the judge of all, the righteous judge, is perfectly pleased. You need not fear then the justice of God. You will never come into condemnation if you have a righteousness that is perfect. The righteousness Jesus Christ, the righteousness of the Christ who never changes and whose righteousness never changes. Secure in him. Your feelings can go up and down. Your assurance of having that righteousness can be strong or can be weak. But if in Christ, in heaven is your righteousness, isn't that what Bunyan learned? He learned my righteousness is in heaven. Then it's perfect. Then God sees me as righteous as he sees the saints who are right now triumphing around the throne because my righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a righteousness, what a mediator. But next also Christ is made unto us sanctification, Paul says. Christ was perfectly holy every moment. And that's what we must be. Hebrews says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. How then can we see the Lord? How can we come into the presence of the Lord? Do we not need a mediator? to be our holiness, our sanctification. His holiness is sanctification of those who in themselves are all unholiness. When he is your sanctification, God sees you as holy. He doesn't see your imperfect faith and those, those evil lusts with which you have to fight. And that unbelief sees you as holy. Because Christ's sanctification is yours. There's even more. If Christ is your sanctification, then all the sanctification in your heart and in your life 
is only the outworking of what you already have in Christ. That's so important to grasp. Growth in grace is not like a plant that grows and becomes something it never was. No, its growth in grace is receiving out of the riches of that complete sanctification you have in Christ and having a beginning of it worked in you. Worked in you what you already have in Christ. Sanctification. And how can we have this this wisdom and righteousness and sanctification? It's because of that last word, redemption. We're born as slaves to sin and chains to the devil in this world's velvet-covered bonds, which seem so nice, but are bonds that will drag us to destruction. We're under that sentence to death, under the wrath of God. And who can redeem himself? Who can deliver himself? There's no one. We have nothing. Christ is all redemption. That's why in Colossians 1, Paul can speak of the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It's that forgiveness of sins which unlocks and which breaks every chain and sets free and brings into the liberty of the children of God and brings into his kingdom of peace and his kingdom of liberty. This is what the mediator does whom God has provided, the one who sets free and the one who brings into that, brings into a right relation with God to have him as a king and to have him as a father. What a mediator, congregation. What a fullness of grace is in this mediator. He is provided by God and he is pleasing to God and that is why the salvation that is in him is so full, so free, so complete and so firm. Let sinners then be ones who have nothing at all, or rather, should I say, ones who are full, but rather full of sin and ignorance and pride and blindness and unbelief and hardness and guilt and whatever else. All those things, all that fullness that someone can sit with tonight, say I'm so full, so full of sin, All that fullness is no match for the fullness of this mediator who is all, all that you could ever need. He's the fullness of grace. What more can we look for in a mediator than what is in this mediator? What better mediator can we ever devise and imagine He's perfect. You come to find him as the one who perfectly suits your need. That his fullness perfectly matches your nothingness, or rather your fullness of sin. And that you've come to stretch out your hands to him, to him alone. Thou must save and thou alone. You come to confess Jesus is my all in all. Him alone. It's a life and death question. All the weight of that first section of the Heidelberg Catechism presses on that question. If we are children of wrath by nature, if we are worthy of eternal death, if these things are realities, then we cannot do just with hearing, yes, there is a mediator out there, and yes, he is full out there, but then I must have him as mine, or I perish. It's essential. 
Blessed you are if the Lord has driven you out in all your need to this mediator. You've come to realize you are, have, and can produce nothing to contribute to your salvation. But in the midst of your helplessness, you found he is indeed all. Then by God are you in Christ Jesus. What a grace to be in Christ Jesus tonight. How unspeakably rich you are if you have the all of Jesus Christ. You look to yourself and you say, what do I have? Nothing. You still groan, O wretched man that I am. And yet you have all because you have Christ. You have what Adam had, knowledge, righteousness, holiness, only you have it in a more amazing way because you had lost it all and it was all given to you through that redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What reason you have to glory in this Christ alone and have no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. What reason you also have to seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of this Lord Jesus Christ. If he is your wisdom, if it's all in him, why would you rely upon your own wisdom, your own thoughts, your own feelings? If he is your wisdom, will you not be daily at his gates, watching at his doors of wisdom? Teach me, Lord. Teach me the way that I shall go. If he is your righteousness, why would you still again try to find your righteousness in anything that you do? And if he is your righteousness, why would you be driven to despair by the accusations of your conscience and of the devil against you as if your righteousness had to be here? If he is your righteousness. And is there not reason to confess what Isaiah sang? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness to walk by faith. If he is your sanctification, and if all the riches of sanctification are in him, then will you not also seek to live out of that sanctification that you have in him? Oh, sanctify me more and more. Take, O Holy Spirit, what is in Christ, what is mine in Christ, and work it out in my heart and in my life. If he is your redemption, And is that not a call to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and you would not be entangled again into that yoke of bondage? He's your all. Then let him be your all. But there's also that flip side, isn't there? If you don't know this grace that flows from him, Where does that leave you? What do you have if you don't have Christ tonight? As a young people, you, young person, you can go out the door and you can say, oh, I have that car. Another person can go home and say, I have this home. I have this job. I have this work. I have this business. I have these funds. I have these friends. I have this health. I have these other things. But what are those things? Yes, they're gifts of God. Yes, you may be thankful for those things, but at the end of the day, if that's all you have, those things, what do you have of eternal worth? Nothing. Nothing. Because Christ is all. And not to have Christ is to have nothing at all. Where does that leave you? You must have him. And how shall you have him? Where shall you look? 
Also, if it's so, if, so confusing in your heart and you know it's one or the other and you struggle with that question, do I have him, do I belong to him or not? And there are times of hope and times of fear. Where are you to go in the midst of those things? Back to the word. Back to where he reveals himself. And that's our final point. Jesus Christ, the all of a nothing at all, revealed in all the word. How do we know that Jesus is the Christ? How do we know that he is the mediator? How do we know that there is such a firm foundation for the greatest sinner to rest upon and know that it will not break? How do we know? It's question 19, isn't it? Whence knowest thou this? And the answer is, out of the word but from the Holy Gospel. Do you know what gospel means, children? Gospel is good news. Gospel is good news. Where do we find good news? Where do we find the best news? It's here. The Word of God. That's God's good news in the midst of this world full of bad news, his gospel. Especially Luther stressed that the word of God has two parts, law and gospel. And the catechism reflects that. In Lord's Day 2, it asks, whence knowest thou thy misery? And the answer is, out of the law of God. And now it asks, whence knowest thou this mediator? And it's from the Holy Gospel. We're so ignorant of who we are, we must hear the law of God that shows us our misery. And when we're so ignorant of the, of the mediator, we must hear the gospel. Law and gospel are those two great parts of the word of God, and we're never done hearing either of them. And the beauty of the gospel is that it's not something which is just confined to what we call the four gospels in the New Testament. It's not even just confined to the New Testament, but that gospel is there from the very beginning of the word to the end of the word. It is that line of gospel that runs through the whole word. And in fact, that is exactly why God has given us his word. If he only wanted us to know his law, then he could have left us with that general sense that he gives to all mankind. But it's the gospel is why he has given us his word so that we would know this mediator. In the Old Testament, it's like what you have at night. It's dark. And then eventually it starts to get lighter, lighter in the east. And then it gets lighter and lighter. And you see, see that, that, that particular spot that's changing color. And then finally the sun rises over the horizon and sheds its beams. The Old Testament is like that, that light becoming greater and greater before the sun of righteousness arises. And it begins already, children, where's the first promise of, of the Lord Jesus? Genesis 3, right? Where he said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt bruise his heel and he shall bruise thy head was a promise that God would break the bond between sinners and Satan, and he would send that great seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And we go further, and we come to that time, for example, of Moses, and the light becomes brighter as God promises him that seed, and that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham longed and saw that day of Christ, the Lord Jesus says. It became brighter. 
And as time went on, it became brighter. Yet, you think of in the time of Moses, when God gave all those ceremonies and all those sacrifices, why was he giving all those ceremonies and sacrifices? They were all pictures of the great mediator whom he would send in the fullness of time, so that when they saw those sacrifices being offered every day again, it was to show them God provides atonement through which there's forgiveness to be restored to God, pointing forward, a great priest will come to offer up this sacrifice that he will be pleased with. You'll further and you go into the days of David and God promises David that his seed would be upon the throne forever. It was a promise that the Lord Jesus would be king forever. And so we see more of who he would be as the Messiah. And you go further into the prophets and there you see hear prophecy after prophecy. You hear of his name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We read of him in his great sufferings in Isaiah 53 and in his great glory and so the light becomes brighter and brighter until Malachi ends uh, speaking about the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and then in the New Testament there he comes in the fullness of time to fulfill all those Old Testament prophecies and ceremonies and types and shadows he comes as a fullness of it all and he does all that work of the, of the mediator. And then he leaves. He ascends to heaven. And we have all those epistles that tell us more and more of what he has done and what he does and what he will do one day. Why do you read the Bible? In the midst of all that you may find in yourself, your sin, your ignorance, your stubbornness, your rebellion. Why do you read the Bible? Because this is the holy gospel, good news of God. This is about the mediator. So as you have spiritual questions, or as you feel your spiritual need, where else will you turn than to this word of God? Because here he reveals his mediator who is full, full of grace to those who are full of need and don't even feel their need enough. But he's full of it. His gospel declares it and his gospel is true. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul says. Is that not something to plead? His own word, his own gospel, which he has sent to you and to me so that we would know, so that we would be sure. Turn to that gospel. Because it's the gospel and it's preaching that God uses to work faith and to strengthen faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's also why you may be so thankful that God is sending you a preacher of this gospel because it's the gospel especially preached that he uses to work faith and to strengthen faith, to strip away all other confidences so that we would confess this, I am a poor sinner and nothing at all. And Jesus Christ, is my all in all. You can't do with less. And more you do not need. Horatius Boner, he says, Christ is all and in all. He who knows this knows what fully satisfies and cheers. He who knows this best has the deepest and truest peace. For he has learned the secret of being always a sinner, yet always righteous, always incomplete and yet always complete, always empty and yet always full, always poor, yet always rich. That's something Jack the Huckster learned more and more. Years later, other people asked him, 
Brother Jack, don't you sometimes feel doubts and fears? Doubts, he said. What do you mean? I never doubt that I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, for I have daily proofs of it. You too. And why should I doubt that Jesus Christ is my all in all, for he says he is, and I must believe him? Someone else said to him, Sometimes I enjoy good frames and feel very happy, and then I lose them and sink in spirit. And Jack replied, I never get lower than I am, for I'm down at the bottom, a poor sinner and nothing at all. I cannot get lower than that, can I? But I am also at the top, for Jesus Christ is my all in all, and I cannot get higher than that. Can I? Can you? Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God, what a mediator thou hast provided, thy own Son, God of God, come in the flesh, a real righteous man, to satisfy thy justice, to be that substitute, and to obtain life, righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and a full redemption. O Lord, he is full, full of grace. Glory be to thy name, O God, that thou dost also unite sinners to him. To be what they are, poor sinners, to find Christ to be what he has said he is, a full Savior. Lord, deliver us from pride that would make us think that we are more than what we are, an unbelief that would think Christ is less than what he is. Deliver us from that, and that each one of us, for the first time or, re- or afresh, would confess what we are as poor sinners but also know him as our all in all. And so to live out of him. We pray, O Lord, to bless us further in this evening. Bless also the youth as they meet together for a topic evening after this service. We pray also to bless us in the week ahead Enable us in the various tasks and callings that we have, that we would do them in dependence on thee. Keep us also in thy care, whether at home or at work or at school or wherever else. And direct our eyes above unto thee. Receive our thanks, O Lord, and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.